The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So it's here we are. It's pretty amazing just to put aside six weeks in our busy lives to learn about mindfulness, and it's a little embarrassing that you have to take a course at a Buddhist meditation center on awareness, right? It seems like you don't know how to be aware. <laughs> That's what your friends or family might think. But it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's one of those things that, like we say about fish, you know, they don't really know about water. It's so omnipresent, always there. It never occurs to them that they're swimming in water. And it's similar for us human beings with awareness, We don't think about the mind. We don't think about the knowing mind or the awareness. It's not something that a human being is commonly interested in. Like, what is awareness? What is the knowing mind? What is mindfulness? So, and it just happens to turn out to be something pretty significant in terms of suffering and the end of suffering or stress and the releasing of stress. And the Buddha was very clear about this. Kama Ground is a a Buddhist meditation center. So we see this person who lived way back 25, 2600 years ago as a teacher. And he was really clear. One of the statements was, it's the not understanding stress that's the cause of stress. But another way of saying that, it's really the not understanding the mind or the not understanding the heart that causes us over and over again to get tied up in knots. So let's try a little exercise right at the beginning, just so you get a taste. Some of you have been at it for a while, meditating for a while, but some of you are brand new, probably have never sat down. And it's interesting when I say, okay, we'll try some, people think, okay, i got to look like a meditator. But, right, because we're talking about awareness, mindful awareness, right, you don't need any particular posture. There's, you can do it any time. Ideally, right, we practice formally so we can be more mindfully aware all the time. That's the idea, except maybe when we're sound asleep. But in any case, sitting comfortably <laughs> in a way that just supports comfort and clarity for you. You can close your eyes if you want, or you can have them open. And if you do have your eyes open, just gaze down toward the floor in front of you. And just notice what the mind, what the heart is aware of, what the heart is feeling. Don't feel like you have to direct the attention any particular way. Just noticing that the mind, the heart is knowing, is sensitive. And just see, can you leave it alone? Whatever it is that the mind is knowing, is it possible just to leave the experience alone? To allow it to be the way that it is. And now let's direct the attention 
Just simply opening to the sensations in the face to begin with. So just, for example, feel, if you can, the air touching the forehead, the temperature, the quality of that, simple contact, any tension in the forehead. And see, again, can you allow these sensations here in the forehead to be the way that they are? So on the one hand, you're being intimate or clearly aware. And on the other hand, you're allowing, you're not trying to control or have a particular kind of experience, just feeling the forehead and letting it be. Same with your eyes now. Notice if there's any tension in the eyes, any movement. Can you feel the eyelids making contact with the eyes? Can you allow whatever sensations are here in the eyes to just be the way they are? Feel the cheeks, the jaw, the teeth and gums and the mouth, the lips and tongue. And again, just allowing, trusting the face to be the way that it is right now. And feel the scalp, the top of the head, maybe even the weight of the hair. Feel both ears, sides of the head, back of the head, and then the whole head together. Clearly aware of the sensations here in the head and face and letting them be, relaxing with them. And then feel the throat just as it is, the back of the neck, feeling the sensations along the sides of the neck down into the tops of the shoulders. So just take some time opening, feeling, allowing, trusting these sensations in these parts of the body to be the way that they are right now. So in this way, mindful awareness has, a, has the quality of kindness, like where we're including, in this case, we're including the sensations and allowing the sensations to be the way they are. And then taking the time to feel the shoulder joints down both arms into both hands and fingers. And again, just practicing being intimate with the arms and hands and fingers. In a way, it's uh, not forgetting or keeping the arms and hands in mind. without needing the experience of the arms and hands to be different than they are right now. There's a real sense of trust and release, allowing. And we feel the entire torso now. Let's begin, especially with the top third of the trunk. So the upper chest and the upper back, collarbones, upper ribs, 
and just little by little feeling down through the trunk, mid-chest, shoulder blades, diaphragm area, lower ribs on both the front and back sides, sides of, sides of the ribs, kidneys, feeling down <clears throat> into the lower back, Feeling the sensations into the abdomen. And all the way down, feeling the structure of the pelvis, the groin, the floor of the pelvis, the sits bones, hip sockets. Just sensing, feeling the entire trunk as it is. Clearly aware, relaxed and alert. Allowing and begin to feel both legs. Start with the thighs. Notice the obvious touch points here. Notice the sensations through the bend of the knees into the calves and the shins. And that simple and kind presence all the way down to the heels, through the ankles to the heels, and then spreading through both feet. Just feel what you feel here in the feet. Again, we're not looking for any particular experience. We're just training the mind to be intimate, to include the sensations as they are now. Both feet, the toes, the bottoms, tops of the feet, sides. And feeling the whole body now together. Breathe in, feel the whole body. As you feel the breath going out, let it be a reminder to open to the whole body. Breathing in, sensitive, alert, interested in the body just as it is. Breathing out, allowing the sensations to be the way they are. We'll do that for a couple more minutes. Use your rhythm, the ordinary rhythm of breathing in and out as a kind of cue that reminds you just to be open, intimate, interested in the whole body. Allow the body, the sensations, the natural sensations in the body to be a kind of refuge for the awareness. Notice the calm, any calm that might be arising for you. Breathing in, sensitive to the whole body, while breathing out, sensitive, aware of the whole body, just as it is.
And now for the last few seconds, we're not directing the attention anywhere, just being aware, noticing the awareness. The mind is aware, the mind is knowing sound and knowing sensation, knowing seeing to some degree, knowing the thinking mind. And notice, see if you can shut off or stop the awareness, stop the knowing. Is there an off button? So we're recognizing the awareness as a natural happening in the mind, not something that you or I do or don't do. It's kind of like the background of the mind, the knowing, the awareness. It's just there. That's something we turn on and off. So notice that quality of awareness. Oh, it's just there, knowing. Your eyes have been closed. Open them. Adjust your body if you need to so you're comfortable. Release any tension that might have developed. So again, welcome. Um, I know some of you, but many of you I don't know. My name's Mark Nunberg, and when Fricky, my spouse, and I started Kamagam Meditation Center way back in 1993, so we've been here for, or we've been in this building for a little over 10 years, and uh, before that, for 15 years, we were seven blocks east of here in another building, and uh, like I mentioned, we're a Buddhist meditation center in the early Buddhist Theravada um, tradition, but here in the West, we generally refer to these kinds of centers as insight meditation or vipassana meditation. So you might have heard that word. But it's the kind of Buddhism that you'd find in places like Thailand and Burma and Sri Lanka, Laos and Cambodia. And it really revolves around these very simple teachings. It's not easy to do, right, because the habit of distraction, the habits of superficiality, the habits of being greedy and irritated and reactive in different ways, they're pretty well entrenched in our minds. But in a way, <clears throat> teachings about being mindful, it's not really, there's nothing really Buddhist about them. They're just, it's kind of like human common sense to be mindful. I mean, can you actually imagine some place in your life where it would be? counterproductive or destructive or inappropriate to be aware, to be clearly aware in a balanced way, in a clear and relaxed way, where in life would we choose purposefully to not be clear and relaxed and not to have that balanced present moment awareness? It's always helpful. But it's interesting. I always find this astounding. I always mention this in the first week of the intro class. You know, truly, I don't think this is an exaggeration. I mean, there are a lot of amazing things in human culture. 
like how mean we can be to one another, how oppressive we can be to one another, right? But one of the most amazing things throughout human history is how just, you know, I mean, it's understandable in a way because survival and things that we get obsessed about that ultimately maybe aren't that important, but we are sort of interested in all these sort of things like the newest electronic device or the newest interesting TV show or whatever it might be. But what's really amazing is how central in our existence, how central the mind is or the heart. In Buddhism, heart, mind, chitta is the Pali word. It's really the same. We don't divide them up. Like mind, brain up here, mind up here, heart here. Right? There's just like the center of your experience, the center of your subjective experience right now, that's your mind or that's your heart. Where you experience suffering, where you experience happiness, that's the heart or mind. Okay. So what's amazing is we haven't been that interested in it. You know, our kindergarten teacher doesn't teach us about getting to know our mind or heart, our first grade teacher or senior year in high school teacher. No one our parents generally, you know, do you remember a time where your one of your parents sat you down and said, I'm going to talk to you now about, you know, the central thing to being a human being is you have a mind. And let me share, let me do my parental transmission and I'm going to pass on to you what I've actually learned, like how to handle, sort of like passing on the owner's manual. Okay, you got a mind, this is how you handle it. This is what you do with it. This is what you watch out for. Nobody talks to us that way. And yet clearly, you know, so we got this amazing mystery, this heart, mind, whatever you want to call it, but we don't really talk about it unless, you know, you go to Buddhist meditation centers and we obsessively talk about the mind. And other, you know, other spiritual traditions, of course, do as well in their own way, you know. but, But really that's, in a way, the spiritual instinct that some of us feel is is like realizing, oh yeah, that's kind of relevant, isn't it? You know, what's the nature of the mind? This mind, not like objectively. Not, I'm not talking about psychology where we pretend to have objectivity and we're studying other people's minds. I mean using this sensitive knowing mind to be interested in this sensitive knowing mind. We're using the mind, using the heart, to get to know the mind and heart. That's what we're doing for these next six weeks. And that's really what the Buddha, he did that in his own life. And he was, you know, as we understand at least, quite successful in getting to know his mind in a way that was quite liberating. He became a really um, alive and kind and wise human being through this spiritual reflection, this reflective study of his own heart. And then could articulate like guidelines or instructions for other people so they didn't have to make as many wrong turns as he did, right? Because he figured it out how to do that without a teacher. So, in a way, you know, generation after generation, we're students of this one person. Not that he's the only person, of course, but, you know, this, his articulation about how we can sort of benefit from how other people have figured out how to use their mind to study the mind.
But like I mentioned right at the beginning, it's basic human common sense. And one of the first things, the kind of corner we need to turn, you've already done in a way because you signed up for this class. Now, maybe some of you signed up because nothing else has worked. You don't think this is going to work, but might, might as well try it. Or someone made you sign up. Your spouse said, you sign up for that class or I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, you need this. Or something like that. Or you're just sort of curious. But a lot of us, a lot of you have sort of had some intuition that there's something right here that's not being clearly seen or understood. And so being in community, you know, not everyone's going to be able to make it each of the next six weeks, right? But it's kind of truly a beautiful thing that a bunch of human beings together using some of the wisdom from our spiritual ancestors, you know, we're going to undertake a very real exploration. I mean, it's it's as uh, mysterious and interesting and beneficial as any trip, any exploration you've ever done or ever will. I can guarantee that. There's nothing more worthy of investigation than our own mind, our own heart. And it's not just like generally we want to get to know the mind. We're specifically interested, and you're already specifically interested in this, even if you've never articulated this point to yourself. We are already specifically interested in how the heck do I end up tight? How, do I, how, how, do, how the heck do I end up stressed and entangled and weighed down by life? And how the heck is the heart freed from all those entanglements, all that psychic weight, all that fear, all that longing, all that inner pain, right? Aren't you all interested in that? Because that basic movement of, let's call it, for lack of better words, self-compassion, right? You don't, like I don't need to train you to care about your life, do I? It's already there. I mean, we're distracted and self-destructed, destructive some of the time, maybe even a lot of the time. But it doesn't take that much for us to find, you know what, I actually do care about my well-being. And when we're a little bit grounded, we realize you care about your well-being just like I care about my well-being. And it, it sort of like leaks out and we realize, yeah, in the same way I don't want to suffer I don't want to be tied up into knots. I don't want to live with fear or anxiety or endless longing or loneliness. I bet you don't want to live with that either. May I find my way toward real peace. May you find... You see, it's a a pretty easy step. And you'll see over and over again, if you stick with the practice of mindful awareness, you'll see how all of the qualities of love that you've bumped into in your life that you really trust. Authentic forgiveness, authentic gratitude and appreciation, simple kindness and compassion. You'll see it developing just through this reflective awareness of your own mind and heart. 
all the good qualities that your kindergarten teacher did tell you about. You know, you need to share. You need to care. Don't hit. You know, be nice. But, you know, it doesn't work to try to be nice. It really is an organic arising from understanding that shared predicament. And really understanding the causes of stress, suffering, and the release from stress and suffering. And not in a sort of a therapeutic or only in a therapeutic or temporary sense. Right? And this is this gets a little more out there. And it's what distinguishes Common Ground as a Buddhist meditation center from a lot of the ways that mindful medita- mindfulness meditation is taught out in more secular places, right? Because all that that you find in hospitals and other places, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction is sort of a big deal now. Most therapists are, use different mindfulness techniques in their therapy. But one of the differences is the Buddha says something very provocative. Not just that we'll have less stress if we develop, if we you know, take up the practice, but that if we really stick with it and take it really to the nth degree, then we'll uncover a freedom, we'll uncover an ease, we'll uncover a love that's not conditioned. So that's a, that's a really important point in how the Buddha taught. He really points to a happiness that's unconditioned. And by that he means that a happiness that's not dependent on our particular circumstances. So we could be in the dying process, but the ease isn't a function of whether we're healthy or really sick or dying or wealthy or in poverty. Now, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. On a relative level, whether we're impoverished or oppressed or not oppressed or wealthy, it matters. We'd all choose, you know, we all know what we choose, healthy or dying. But isn't it true, you know, that we're actually interested in the release or the opening of the heart or the quality of kindness that's not a, that's not going to come and go dependent on circumstances? Oh, I'm really happy when people treat me nicely, but I get really upset when people treat me without or don't respect me, right? Well, that happiness is pretty fragile because imagine how hard it would be to convince everybody to always treat you the way you want to be treated. It's not going to happen. Or I'm really happy when my body feels good, but I really don't feel good when my body hurts. Well, that's a setup because our body will get sick and our body will get old and our body will die. So you see, it's a setup if our happiness is based on conditioned things. So the Buddha says something incredibly provocative that if you develop your mindfulness practice, you will start intuiting and it will start to grow in your life a happiness that's unconditioned. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in these six weeks talking about that, but I just want to say this up front as a way of distinguishing sort of the orientation of common ground and how we teach 
mindfulness practice, mindful awareness practice here, that we're really interested in spiritual freedom, universal love, the full and unshakable release of the heart, right? We have different ways of talking about this, enlightenment, awakening, and these sort of words that can kind of push our buttons, you know, because it sounds a little idealistic. So that's okay if you're getting that reaction. It's okay. But I'd encourage you just to keep an open mind about what can arise from this simple practice of using the mind, using the heart, to know the mind and heart. Notice the awareness now in the mind. Did you make that happen? See how the awareness is already there? Now, just keep sensing, even as as I'm talking, just sense that the mind is knowing, the mind is aware. Anybody's mind not aware? Right, so it's the awareness is there, right? Now, can you stain your awareness? Try to corrupt it. Like, go ahead. Think a despicable thought, whatever that might be for you. <laughs> can you stain? Can does the mean thought or the lustful thought or whatever kind of thought you can generate? Does it ruin or contaminate or in any way? stain awareness. One image you might find useful in the weeks ahead as we do this course is the uh, image of a mirror. It's not a perfect metaphor for awareness practice, mindful awareness practice, but it, it it has some useful attributes as a metaphor or simile. Because You can do despicable things in front of a mirror and the mirror is just going to reflect back whatever you're doing. Or you could do the most beautiful thing in front of a mirror and the mirror is just going to reflect that back. But the mirror isn't in any way going to be affected by the conditions that are going on in front of it. right? The mirror remains undisturbed, simple, peaceful, and free of whatever it's reflecting, essentially free, not weighed down. It could be like the most complex thing is happening in front of the mirror, but the mirror isn't weighed down by the effort of reflecting that back. Now, the reason that's a useful metaphor is one of the things as we train our mind to be more stable, more present, more calm, more clearly aware, and we use that stability of the mind, that balance of mind to study the mind, right? Using the mind to study the mind, then over time, this underlying nature of the mind, you're going to start to recognize and to it. And it will always have a particular flavor, and the Buddha calls that flavor freedom. Doesn't matter where you're, you grew up or what kind of personality you have or whether you're old or whether you're 13. It doesn't really matter. If you study your mind with enough balance, enough sincerity, you'll start intuiting something about the heart and mind, this essential freedom. And it's a taste that the Buddha would say is unforgettable. Because when our mind is sort of in its normal mode, which means it's sort of 
orienting around the particular circumstances in the moment, the particular emotion or attitude that's present in my mind or the particular thing that somebody's doing to me right now. Our minds are normally identified with circumstance and conditions here in the present moment, right? And then who we think we are, how we feel, in a sense, is pushed around by the particular conditions. Conditions are really good, I'm really high. Conditions are really difficult or painful, I'm feeling really low. And it's like a roller coaster, and that's what we call human life, riding that roller coaster. And so in the Buddhist tradition, we have a phrase for that, that what we'd call a worldly or an ordinary existence, a non, uh, an existence of someone who doesn't have a spiritual practice, a useful spiritual practice. We say, you know, it's a worldly existence, and we call it the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, right? It's that roller coaster. Now it's like this, and because we're identified with the roller coaster, you know, we like some parts of it, and we don't like other parts of it. And, and in a way, we're a little addicted to the intensity of, you know, wanting the next good thing, wanting to avoid the next bad thing, wondering if you're going to screw up my next good thing, you know, or be my next bad thing. And that's a little bit, you see, that's kind of our living like an animal. Because we are animals, of course, humans. And animals are sort of, their conditioning is to orient around those conditions. You know, wanting to be warm, wanting to be fed, wanting to mate, wanting to be the top of the heap, right? That's what animals do. And that's mostly where we are. You know, it's more complex. We decorate it (laughs) as opposed to, you know, other animals, snails or whatever. (laughs) But it's not so different, the conditioning that we're involved with most of the time. And if somebody asks, like, how was your day? How was your week? How was your life? We assess it by that roller coaster like relative to other people on roller coasters are we getting more of the highs and less of the lows or more of the lows and less of the highs than other people right so it's that's kind of a beastly worldly attitude where a spiritual attitude is realizing yeah that's true that is how it is human existence or any existence but a, a spiritual intuition is that there's a way, there's a peace that isn't dependent on that roller coaster ride. Now, a lot of people mistake, because when we sit, you know, we often go to a quiet place. You sit down, you find a room in your house or apartment. You have the cat and dog in the other room. You tell the people you live with. I'm going to be sitting for 30 minutes. Don't bother me. You shut your cell phone off or the phone in your home off. You find a comfortable way to sit where there's, you know, you minimize the pain in your body by how you sit, where you sit, how long you sit. You know, some of you may only be comfortable initially sitting for 10 minutes. And then maybe you sit for 10 minutes and then stand for five minutes doing your practice and then sit back down for another 10 minutes so you get your, you know, as much time as you can that you can afford to have in your life for your practice. 
And people mistake that the form of practice is to, you know, sit still in a very simple, peaceful place as thinking, oh yeah, the point of mindful awareness practice is to not be alive, you know, to not have a life, to not have duties and responsibilities. It's sort of like, you know, God, if I only didn't have eyes or ears or nose or a tongue and my skin didn't feel sensation and my mind didn't think or emote, then I'd be happy. Like, if only I weren't a human being, I'd be happy. If only I didn't have any sensitivity to anything whatsoever, I'd be happy. You know, when you say it out loud, of course, it's crazy to say it like that. So the practice is, yeah, we do, when we're training, it's like going to kindergarten, we do minimize what we're sensitive to. We do go to a quiet space. We do sit in a comfortable way. We're cultivating a training period, like 30 minutes a day if you can, where the conditions are optimal, right? where we're sitting in a way that doesn't make us too sleepy, but it's comfortable enough, where the conditions are relatively comfortable and peaceful, and we practice not being dependent on conditions. But it's easier to practice that when the conditions are relatively nice. If you want to practice where there's a lot of pain and distraction, go ahead. You'll still learn, but initially it will be really unpleasant. You know, you can go to the Mall of America and sit in the food court with all the smells and all the activity or whatever, you know, something that would be provocative, or sit in front of your to-do list, (laughs) you know, with the computer screen doing whatever it's doing and the neurotic dog who wants you to take it for a walk. And and you could still practice like seeing everything or watching the news about the suffering in the world and the injustice in the world. So when you're sitting, like if people who don't get it say, hey, you're just ignoring the suffering in the world. Like what's this meditation stuff about? You're just being self-indulgent. I mean, people say that to people who are developing a meditation practice. You need to you need a ready come by, a comeback rather to their to that kind of comment. No, I'm practicing. I'm learning how to be radically intimate, radically sensitive, nimble and responsive. But I'm just learning with conditions that are relatively simple and easy, so I can take it on the road, you know, and go into my life with that kind of equanimity that kind of balance, that kind of sensitivity, that kind of freedom and kindness that we learn when we're sitting. And you'll see, this is going to be the hardest, I'm not kidding, this is the hardest thing. You, you, I don't think anybody finds this anything harder than the continuity of mindful awareness. It's the hardest thing. You'll see... One of the real signs, like I meet with people all the time about their practice, have been doing this now for a long time. I started my practice in the early 80s, so I've been practicing for over 35 years now. You know, it's been the big thing in my life since that time. Um, So I've talked to a lot of people. I know my own mind a lot watching it. And I always know someone's practice is really developing. So when I talk to them about like how a sit goes, what they tell me is, 
about all the distractions. And I know somebody hasn't really gotten started when they're not aware that they're distracted all the time. Right? It's like, oh yeah, I was mindful. And it's like, oh boy, this person hasn't even started. <laughs> they don't know the first thing about their mind. Right? How often it's lost. How often it's just obsessing about this, wanting, hating, riding the roller coaster, but not aware that they're on the roller coaster. That's where we are most of the time. Right? If if you had, you know, life and death question, you know, with one sentence summarize human existence, the right answer is lost in thought. That's the phrase that best summarizes what human existence is for most of us most of the time. We're lost in thought. Meaning thinking is happening, but there's no part of the mind that's aware that thinking is happening. Doesn't that seem to characterize right most of today? Right? How many times today was was there a simple, clear recognition, oh yeah, thinking's happening. The mind is thinking this thought, or the mind is feeling this emotion. Did that happen today? But why not? Why couldn't there have been that sort of reflective, like mirror-like presence that's just there, knowing, okay, now now it's like this. It's not judging, oh, you shouldn't be thinking. No, it's just aware, oh yeah, think it's just the thinking mind thinking. Just emotions emoting, hearing Sounds being heard, you know, seeing is being seen. Tasting, touching is being known. We just have these six things that are happening all the time. We have the five physical senses, right? In Buddhism, that's called the body. Because Buddhism is interested in the subjective experience of being a human being. So my subjective experience is knowing the body through touch, Sensation, right? Seeing, hearing, smelling, and tasting. And thinking. That's the only thing I ever know. And emotion is sort of a dance between thoughts and sensation, right? So it's it's still within this sixth category. So sometimes in Buddhism we'll call that the six sense gates. The six ways the mind is sensitive to the present moment. The only six ways, like as complex as your life has seemed, seems right now, it's just some combination of these six things being known. So that brings me to another point, and this is really, I'm going to come back to this over and over again, and it will always seem stupid until you actually try it out, and when you try it out, you realize it is so profound. So please don't be dismissive of this pointing out instruction. So does it make sense that we're sensitive in these six ways? Have you ever had an experience that wasn't one of these six things? And be honest, raise your hand. Can you imagine, remember an experience that wasn't one of these six things being known? Thinking or just just make this mental activity because it's, Mental activity can be quite diverse. There's a lot, right? And then hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and seeing, being known. And that's the totality of our experience. And then just to summarize it then, and this is the 
statement that you can use both in your daily life mindful awareness practice and in your formal meditation mindful awareness practice. This is being known. All of our existence, all of our life, every single moment can be reduced to that simple statement. This is being known. So there's two things. You can't really separate the two things, but we talk about them as two things because it makes it clear. There's knowing and something being known. Every single moment of our life is that. Something is being known. This moment right now, for each of us, of course it's always changing, but moment by moment it's something being known. If you're thinking right now, that's stupid, Mark. That's a thought being known, right? (laughs) And if there's an emotional kind of flavor in your body-mind that corresponds with that thought, that feeling is something being known. No, no, that's really stupid. Something being known. If you're kind of like, what's he talking about? Confusion is being known. Not knowing is being known. Because the mirror, the knowing, right, is always going to reflect whatever it is that's predominant in the moment. In one moment, it might be a visual experience. Seeing is being known. In another moment, it might be hearing, like what Mark is saying, or comprehending, that's thought, what Mark is saying. But it will always be something being known. Now, what I'm asking you to do all day long, in your formal sitting time, again, some of you may only get 10 minutes in every day. Probably everybody can get at least 10 minutes of formal sitting practice in every day. Hopefully no one's so busy you can't find 10 minutes. So even if you are brushed your teeth, you've got your pajamas on, you're in your bed, and then you remember, I didn't sit, do it right then for 10 minutes. Right? But if you can get 30 minutes in, that would be great. And for those who can get more than one session in, Fantastic, right? And I'll be talking about walking meditation and even some lying down meditation. So you can use different postures, standing. Um, but the formal meditation is just you've taken the time to optimize the conditions, more simple, pleasant, comfortable conditions. That's what you call your formal sitting if you're sitting or walking if you're using walking. And then the rest is just like daily, what we call daily life practice. You just do the best you can the rest of the day. But use that phrase. Bring it to mind. Chew on it. Oh yeah, he's right. It's just this being known right now. And actually you can regurgitate that phrase. This being known. No, you can re- replace the word this with whatever it is that's predominant. Oh yeah, seeing is being known. Not liking is being known. Liking is being known. Like when you really notice you're attracted to something, oh, that's just liking being known. If you find yourself really averse or irritated by something, oh yeah, not liking is being known or aversion is being known. Complete hatred is being known. feels like this. That's a nice secondary thing you can do is check. Like when you notice that something's being known, this is being known, this means whatever's predominant, whatever experience one of these six things that's predominant, you acknowledge this is being known, whatever it is. And then oftentimes there's an underlying feeling, which is like that emotional thing that's kind of partly mental, like it might have a mental, you might have a mental idea 
perception label word that corresponds to it, but it also is a visceral, so it's like sensation too, right? Oh, it feels like this. That's a secondary thing. That means you're kind of becoming a pro at the practice. When it's enough, it's a powerful step just to know this is being known. And then, but if it's sticky or if you're, it's hard to get clear, then ask, well, what's the feeling? Oh, it feels like this. Oh, this feeling is also being known or being felt. Oh, yeah, it's just this feeling. And then the third thing you could add is, well, can it be okay that this is being known or this is being felt? And you, that's, it's not like, really see, like, can you relax with it? Can you allow it? Can you be free given that this is being known and it feels like this right now? And you can check right now. Like what actually for each of us right now, what's actually in the way of freedom? Like probably if I did a survey, you know, one to ten, ten being fully awake, fully free, enlightened, completely unoppressed by life, and one is like total suffering, right? A lot of you wouldn't check ten, like that you're totally free. But what is it about the moment that tells you you're not free? What's being known? Because, like I said at the beginning, once you kind of get good at this is being known and kind of develop some momentum in your practice, you'll naturally, like I said earlier, be interested in suffering. Not theoretically, but like, am I a suffering being? Is there stress? Is the heart tight? Heavy, numb. Oh, that's being numb. What's the feeling? Oh yeah, it feels like this. Well, can that feeling be okay? Can I relax? Can I allow the feeling to be just this feeling being known, being felt? Because that's how you become free. It's not about fixing your life, but but learning how to be intimate with the life you're living the experience that's arising, how to be free with the conditions of our life. Now, it doesn't mean we stop engaging life and making different choices or making things work better, but we practice doing that with more and more freedom. So when we try to make the world a better place, try to make our life a better place, try to make our families better families, we're just so much better at it when we're coming at it with more freedom. When we're trying to fix our relationship from the point of view of being a suffering human being who's desperate for the relationship to be better, we tend to make a lot of mistakes. It's exactly because we're dependent on the relationship getting better for our own happiness that desperation gets in the way. Same with jobs, same with the world. But if we know how to be at ease, if we know how to be free, if we know how to be intimate and kind and alive and at ease, even when conditions are really difficult, it's so much easier to engage and to contribute to be a a force for what's good than when we're oppressed by the conditions in the moment. And this is really what we're learning. So let me just review, and then we'll stretch, and then we'll do another 
I'll give you a little bit more formal meditation instruction that you can work with this week. So a few phrases you can play with in your formal sets and through the throughout the day, right? So there's the body and there's the mind. The body is just the five physical senses being known, and the mind is mental activity being known, which also involves emotion, but emotion has a visceral feeling. So that's kind of emotion is sort of a bridge between what we call the mind or mental activity being known and the kind of visceral the a kind of more subtle version of touch, right? Physical sensation. So these six things are being known. So then in terms of our mindful awareness practice, it's pretty simple. Something's being known every moment. So what's being known? So like if you've been lost in thought for a while, which is quite common as you know, then when you're aware that you've been lost in thought, then you're back being mindful. So don't get frustrated when you realize you've been lost in thought. That's not the time to be frustrated because you're aware in that moment, right? So then the appropriate thing to do when you've been lost in thought, but now you're aware you've been lost in thought, is to ask. You can literally ask it as a use language in your mind if you want. You don't have to, but so what's being known? You can ask a question like that. What's the mind knowing? What experience is sort of in the forefront of attention? Maybe there's some pain in your knee. Oh, sensation's being known. And then as you kind of Notice that the pain, the throbbing is being known. You might notice, oh, not liking the pain is also being known. Oh, not liking is like this. Or you might have to ask, well, what's the feeling here? Oh, not liking, it's unpleasant. Well, can that unpleasantness be okay? Like, can you be both interested, alert, clear, and relaxed with it? That's another little pointing out instruction. So to kind of, you know, to sort of uh, tease out what we mean by mindful awareness, we mean alertness or clarity or intimacy, right? Interest, that, those sort of, that category of mental quality and relaxation, allowing, trusting, right? And they come together. Actually, they support each other. Because normally we associate relaxation and trust and safety with getting sleepy, right? Because if you're not kind of trusting and safe and relaxed, you don't fall asleep at night. And we associate like interest, curiosity, clarity with sort of buzzing around and doing things and getting things done. But the relaxation really supports clarity, And the clarity really helps us tease out what's in the way of relaxation. Oh, you got to let go of that. Got to soften that. Got to put that down. Right? So that's like when you're sort of in that place, you're in the middle of your 30 minute set, and you realize, honestly, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. (laughs) What was he talking about? And then, then remember these two. Okay, I know it's simple. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's two qualities alertness and relaxation. Okay, which of those seem most undeveloped right now in my mind, my heart? I'm really tight. Okay, let me emphasize the relaxation. Honey, relax. Soften. You just invite. Like, You know what helps us to relax is not commanding that we relax, but just like that movement of compassion. Honey, you know, 
remember the possibility of relaxation, allowing, trusting, putting things down, putting the load down. Or maybe you realize like you're pretty relaxed, but you're just like a fraction of an inch away from sleep. It's like, okay, interest. It's like, that's right. The Mark said the mind is the most amazing mystery, and it's right here. It's life and death. Freedom is really possible, right? It's kind of perk the interest. What's the mind doing? Is there any aversion in the mind? Any greed in the mind? One of the things to kind of perk the interest is, you know, just take up some of the, um, you know, teachings of the Buddha. That, the, like, one of the things the Buddha says is that. Whatever you look at, whatever you see in your experience, you're going to see that it turns out to be just a natural process. You don't find Mark or you or anything permanent anywhere. You just, the more you look, the more you see natural processes, interdependent natural processes. No center anywhere to be found. No center anywhere to be found. I'm saying that because that can bring some interest in the mind. Like, is that true? Don't We don't want to just believe it's true. We want to actually, we got a mind, we've got our experience right here. Let's check it out. Okay? So that's some pointing out. You can work with that this week. But let's stretch our legs. We'll just stand up for a few seconds or a minute or two. Move your body any way you'd like. And while you're doing that, I'll just mention a few things. Um, I sent an email out early this morning. It had links for the handouts for this class. I'm assuming most of you have a way to read or print them at home. If not, just see me. And then for some of you might have come without registering, and then I'll send you that email, but I need your email address. And so there's a sheet of paper up front. Print your email neatly. I'll make sure you get that email then. And the other thing is I am recording this series, but... Um, with that uh, email was also, I think from 2017, there was a class that was recorded. So if you're out of town on work or home with your kids because they're sick or have to miss one of the six weeks, no problem. Just come when you can. And uh, you're welcome to then listen to the class you missed if you want. You know, it's just there. We record, generally we record all the programs at the center and we put them up on the internet so you can access them through our website if you want to listen to some of the other programs at the center. So remember that the Buddha taught that we can be mindful in any posture. So if you're finding it uncomfortable to sit for any length of time, then sit for as long as you can comfortably sit, and then get really interested when it starts to be uncomfortable. It's painful. Because you might be able to be mindfully aware Let the pain be the predominant experience. Oh, throbbing, aching is like this. But at some point, you won't be able to be mindfully aware of the pain. You're going to start reacting to it. That's the time to make an adjustment or change your posture. But don't change your posture or come to standing as soon as it's unpleasant. Practice with the unpleasantness. But it's only when all you're doing is struggling so you don't want to practice struggling. So that's the time to make the adjustment. But as long as you can be relaxed and interested, those two qualities I mentioned, 
with the painful sensations, then do that. What's the mind knowing? Well, it's knowing pain. Oh, pain's like this. Is there any not liking? Yeah, there's a little not liking. Oh, what's that? What does that feel like? Can that be okay? So you might actually have a really peaceful relationship with the painful sensations in the body and even with any reactivity that might be there in the mind. But at some point, the balance will tip and the mind will be dominated by the aversion and whatever. And then then stretch mindfully or come to standing. And you might stand, knees a little bent, for three or four minutes until the pain alleviates, you know, and then sit back down. So that way, there's really no excuse. Like if you have the time to sit for 30 minutes or to practice for 30 minutes, but you can't sit still for 30 minutes, then just sit still and relax for as long as you can. Then come into a standing pose. Or if you have like a hallway near where you're sitting at home, then you can just walk back and forth. So one of the handouts in that, I think there's like eight handouts, one of them is on walking meditation practice. And you could just read that. It'll give you some instructions. And week two or week three, I'll talk more about it. But it's always good to get your questions. So bring them in. We'll have time each week for you to ask questions about sitting practice, about walking practice, and all, all about daily life practice too, like just taking it on the road. So let's sit down. We'll end the evening with some mindfulness of breathing instructions. Do whatever you can to sit comfortably. And we'll be sitting for about 20 minutes, maybe a little bit less. I'll talk more about posture next week, so just do the best you can tonight. That makes sense for you. See what you can do to cultivate a stable sitting posture. And then once you feel settled enough, it will never be perfect, the sitting posture. So just settled, comfortable enough. You can create a simple ritual for just a minute or two to do some slow and easy deep breathing where you're very slowly in a relaxed way filling the lungs. Take your time. And whenever you're ready, a very long, easy exhalation. It normally doesn't make any sound because we're just doing it in a relaxed way. And you can do that three or four, even more if you have a lot of tension from the day and you need to settle. So this isn't necessarily mindfulness exactly, but it's just a way of settling. Deep, full, easy breathing in and out. As if you have all the time in the world to fill and empty the lungs. And we're not straining, we're enjoying this way back into the body, filling and emptying the lungs. So we'll do that one more time. 
Whenever you're done, but don't rush, whenever you're done, just allow the breathing to continue on its own. Fortunately, the body knows how to breathe, so we don't need to mentally tell the body how to do the breathing. Just trust the body to breathe, whatever it's like, even if it feels uneven or rough or shallow or whatever. Let the body do the breathing. And before we go to the mindfulness of breathing, simply notice how awareness is aware of hearing. You're not trying to hear any particular sounds, but just receptive to all the sounds that are coming and going. And notice how refined, how little effort is actually needed to remember to notice hearing or to remember that hearing is being known. It's a very particular effort of remembering the present moment by recognizing that hearing is being known. And for just a few more seconds, see if you can sustain that present moment awareness using the ongoing experience of hearing, keeping it in mind. In other words, being intimate with hearing alert and relaxed. You're just getting a sense of what the continuity of present moment awareness is like. Now we're switching from hearing being the predominant experience to noticing the movement of the breath in the body again. But now it's just an ordinary natural activity of breathing here. And different people will feel the sensations of the breathing rhythm in different places. Some people it's really easy to feel it as a touching as the air goes in and out of the nostrils. Other people feel it more clearly as a movement down in the abdominal wall, that simple rising and falling of the abdomen. Or any other way that 
the natural rhythm of breath can be felt in the body as sensation. And again, it's just a simple training to use this particular experience, the sensations of breathing in, the sensations of breathing out, as a kind of anchor for the knowing mind, the attention. Is it possible to sustain that awareness present moment awareness from the beginning of the in-breath all the way through to the end of the in-breath, and then from the very beginning of the out-breath all the way through to the very end of the out-breath. Again, we're not controlling the breathing process, just let it be natural. Sustaining present moment awareness using the anchor, the training ground of the breathing process as sensation. Breathing in sensitive to the body, bodily sensations, while breathing out sensitive to the bodily sensations. One half breath at a time. And we'll continue in silence for a while.
Now, of course, the mind will get lost in thought. So as soon as you notice that the mind is thinking without judging or being frustrated, just acknowledge, oh yeah, thinking is being known. It's like this now. Notice if there's any feeling tone. What's the feeling here? Oh yeah, it feels like this. Can this be okay? Can this feeling be okay? Just to allow it to be, if there is a strong feeling. Otherwise, just feel the body sitting. Notice the next in-breath. Breathing in, sensitive to bodily sensations. Feeling the breath going out, just being open, alert, and relaxed with the sensations there. One half breath at a time. So just be sitting for another five minutes. Remember the question that you can bring up when it's helpful. What's the mind knowing? Oh, this is being known. This predominant predominant experience is being known, being felt. What's the feeling here? Oh, it feels like this. Well, can that be okay, this feeling that's being felt? Can it be okay? Can the mind be alert? Clearly aware and relaxed with the feeling, with what's being known, allowing things to be. Can this be okay that it's like this now? So you can use that internal language like I just shared when it's helpful to help stabilize the continuity of present moment awareness. What's the mind knowing? Well, this is being known. What's the underlying feeling here? 
Oh, it feels like this. Right now it feels like this in the body, in the heart. Or can that feeling be okay? Can it uh, be allowed? Can I relax with this feeling, this experience, and allow things to be the way they are? Is that safe? Learning how to be right in the middle of our lives. So for the last few seconds, I'll just allow the eyes to open. We don't want to be dependent on just practicing when the eyes are closed. So we're not looking around, we're just gazing down toward the floor. But this helps us learn how to take the practice on the road, just realizing that we can be mindfully aware with the eyes open, just seeing, being known, thoughts, being known, sensations being felt. It's like this now. Can this be okay, this body-mind experience? And begin to adjust your body, release the tension. So that's some instructions for what we often call mindfulness of breathing. But the breath, that actual, the physicality of that breathing process, it's really just an anchor or working ground for the attention, right? It's just one thing that's happening in the present moment. And because for most people, not everybody, it's a sort of neutral experience. It's, you know, maybe if you had a lot of asthma as a kid, it's not a neutral experience for you. So then that wouldn't necessarily be a good anchor. You can use your whole body or you can use hearing as your predominant anchor or training ground. Where we're using something relatively pleasant or neutral as a place to train the mind to have that continuity of present moment awareness. right? And then you can come back to that when you're out in the world, living your life, then you can, that breath sort of is a reminder, oh yeah, I know how to be both alert and relaxed, because I'll take a few seconds and just be with my breath. Or if you're working with your whole body, I'll be with my whole body. Or if you're working with hearing as your predominant anchor, then come back to hearing for a few moments. And that's how you can, out in the world, reestablish that balanced, clear, and relaxed present moment awareness. Okay, And like anything, even though we have big-time habits around superficiality and distractedness, those habits became habits because they were practiced. So if we want mindful awareness to be the new habit, You just practice, and it will eventually become the habit of the mind to be present in that clear and relaxed way. And lots in your life will begin to change because we can't not be a more skillful human being when we're mindfully aware. We just see so much more. Like 
the danger of not saying what we need to say or saying too much, right? Like all those ordinary mistakes we make all the time, it's because we're not awake. You know, we're caught up in our habits. We're not really there in the moment, so we do stupid stuff. So it's so practical. Besides being so transforming, ultimately, the practice just helps us to be a better human being. And the last thing I want to say before we end tonight is come next Tuesday, you might feel like, yeah, this is a good thing, but come next Tuesday, our minds will have lots of reasons why you shouldn't come back. (laughs) And that's totally okay. But just recognize, oh, those are just thoughts being known. right? And come back. Because you're not going, it's like, if you don't give yourself a certain number of weeks to get a real taste of what this is about, you're not going to take it up because it's really going against the cultural stream. We're going against the stream here. The cultural stream is distractedness and superficiality, right? And so you need to build enough momentum so you get a taste. And even then it's not hard, it's not that easy rather to keep your practice going. It's good to find friends that are also into the practice and I'll talk more about that as we go along. But I'm just warning you, it's quite natural not to want to come back. But just ask yourself, so what? So I don't want to come back. That's just a feeling. That's just a thought being known. And then decide to come back whether if you think it's helpful to come back. Don't not come back because you have a thought. I mean, I have a lot of stupid thoughts. Right? We don't have to follow our thoughts. Can you imagine if we did everything we thought? We'd be in prison or, or dead or in trouble for sure. So don't be confused by that thought. Oh, I think I'll skip. Oh, that's just a thought. Where's my car keys? <laughs> Where's my bike? And come, give it six weeks, and then decide whether it's something you want to make part of your life going forward. So it's really helpful. Like if some of you can get here a little bit early, we have a lot of setup to do. You don't have to come way early, but if you can get here a little bit early, that's helpful. And then also at the end of each week, all the folding chairs go down the stairs to the right and to the right. Just the folding chairs, not the black chairs. They stay up against the wing. So, you know, we have one row of black chairs there. The other black chairs can get stacked against the east side, and these black chairs can just stay against the west side of the room. Folding chairs go down the stairs to the right and to the right. And next week, if some of you, the majority of you, could come in that door on the south side, which takes you right to the basement, leave your shoes shoes and coats down there, it just makes the front entrance not so crowded if maybe two-thirds use the basement, one-third use the upstairs area for your coat and shoes. Good, and if you have any questions, just see me. I think most of you saw the email. All the programs at the center, not just this class, are offered freely. This building, we have a retreat property in Wisconsin we're developing. All this happens because of people's generosity. Same with supporting the teachers. It all comes from your free donations and other contributions that come to the center. So any way you want to do that, it's all up to you. There's no right or wrong way how you support the center. You just figure it out. If you have any questions, you can contact me. Come up afterward. Read what we have to say on the website. I sent a handout that explains a little bit more. There is an iPad where you can contribute using Square, your credit card, or you can use PayPal online at our website or you know whatever makes sense. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's it. Any other questions maybe come up afterwards? If you didn't register but want to get the email, leave me your email up here. And I'll see hopefully most of you next Tuesday. Have a good week and practice, experiment. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.